With the escalating war between Israel and Hamas, never mind the ever-increasing level of public protest and calls around the globe for a ceasefire, pleased to welcome author and co-host of the weekly Democracy-ish podcast, uh, Wajahat Ali. Welcome back to our program. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, sir, and allow me to say proactively uh, that I condemn Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, Al-Qaeda, and any other violent militant extremist organization. I know your show is not that show, but just to give you a taste, if you are Muslim or Arab, and I'm a Pakistani American, Mm -hmm. not Palestinian, you are proactively expected to and demanded to to condemn violent acts done by violent people you've never met. Uh, And this, black people know this, people of color know this, but especially if you're Muslim Arab, this has happened since Mm 9-11. And unfortunately, that cycle has repeated. So I love doing your show because we can actually get deeper and more nuanced and get beyond the BS. As I said a moment ago, we're trying to squeeze an 80-pound show into a 45-pound bag. (laughs) Lots of of combos today, and I'm glad we're starting with you. And let me start with what you just started with, and that is this. (laughs) You commenced. I ain't said nothing to you yet. I ain't asked you a question. You come out the blocks with your your disclaimer. Uh, And and, and on the one hand, it's it's tongue-in-cheek and it's funny, and I get it. On the other hand, it's very serious that there are folk uh, these days who are being canceled left and right. And it's as if you don't start the conversation, laying that disclaimer out, you're in trouble. Um, how do you read that reality in this moment that is so difficult even to have conversation about what's happening right now in the Middle East? Yes, the Groundhog's Day, it's happened uh, perpetually. For oftentimes people of color, black folks have to, you know, like uh, have to, to always apologize for Louis Farrakhan, right? And yeah. always apologize for urban crime. And it's what happens when you completely dehumanize the people, when you dehumanize the people and flatten them and their narratives and their stories become a single story, especially the story of the villain, then you are a representative of that group and your loyalty and your patriotism is always held as suspect in your own country. And as such, even though I am a Pakistani American, born and raised here, but because I'm Muslim and because I, like many others around the world, Espouse, you know, I think very logical and rational ideas that, you know, Palestinians need a path towards self-determination and that the occupation has to end for security for both Israel and Palestinians. That alone makes me a potential threat. So I have to then proactively condemn violent deeds done by violent people I've never met. And if you see my Twitter thread, people who are otherwise sane and rational, educated, you know, this is what happens with dehumanization, Tavis, and you know this, you've talked about this on your show, is uh, they don't see you as human. They just completely see you as the other. And otherwise, rational people on their own account, publicly, for the world to see, have repeatedly told me to tell my friends Hamas to stop the bombing, mm-hmm. have asked me how come I haven't released the hostages. And, and you sit there and you, you go, listen, what's happening here? And if you just pause for a second, what happens is the constant vilification and dehumanization of people, where you see them only as enemies, savages, animals, Amalek, the word used by Netanyahu, which we can unpack, children Mm. of darkness, where there's no other narrative. And when you see people as a problem, that's when you come up with frightening solutions. We're going to discuss Netanyahu, I promise, and a great deal more. Just getting started on Tavis Mali, I guess, is Wajahad Ali. More when we come forward. Seeking the truth. Speaking the truth. This is the Tavis Smiley Show. Bay Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley.
I guess is uh, Wajahad Ali, and um, uh, he is the uh, host, um, co-host of a weekly podcast, which I love, called Democracy-ish. And I'm pleased to have him back uh, on this program. Um, I was reading, I've, I've been reading everything, of course, uh, um, Wajahad, as, as have you. I saw a pretty provocative piece uh, by Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times. He's been, he's been taking it on the chin lately, but, but writing some pretty truthful pieces, uh, painfully truthful. Um, but, um, mm. he, he's bold enough, um, to, to take the heat and he's, 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 he's quoting uh, a young Palestinian girl in his piece that's out today, I believe. And she says to him, I feel like we are overpaying for a sin that we did not commit, that we mm. are overpaying for a sin that we did not commit. She's speaking, um, not literally, but parenthetically, I guess, on behalf of all these children in Gaza, these 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 babies, and I do mean babies literally, and 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 kids and teenagers uh, who were being killed uh, in this process, thousands of them dead at this point, and that's been verified not just by um, uh, Gazan authorities, but indeed by the UN. How do you respond to that that comment that um, she feels like they, this generation, is overpaying for a sin that they did not commit? It ties in directly to what we're saying is when you dehumanize an entire people, it's perfectly fine to then have collective punishment against them. We're a woman, a child, an elder, a clergy, Palestinian Christian. Yes, folks, there are Christians there are all seen the enemy, right? They're deemed as Hamas. So the, the dark humor goes Palestinian equals Arab equals Muslim equals Hamas equals Islamic Jihad equals Hezbollah equals the enemy. The language that Netanyahu, who's the current leader of, of Israel, used was that they, he didn't say Hamas, but he said they, or all the children and people of darkness. Then he used biblical quotes, this messianic kind of uh, fanatical type of uh, genocidal language where he compared not Hamas, but the Palestinians to Amalek. And for those who study the Bible, in, in, the, in traditions, the Amalek, in Jewish traditions, like every generation has an Amalek, an enemy of the Jewish people that needs to be eradicated. That's the type of language that he's using against all Palestinians. So when you see an entire population of 2.2 million people who are living in an open-air prison where every day there's a human rights catastrophe, as evidenced by 18 human rights organizations. And plus, Tavis, now we can all see with our own eyes, right? So you don't have to read the books or go to the 18 human rights organizations. You see it. Uh, you sit there and go, well, how can this happen? And, and you sit there and go, oh, this happens when the Israeli leadership right now, uh, led by Netanyahu, who, by the way, in his leadership has some of the most extreme individuals who would not have been part of Israel 10 years ago. It reminds me a lot of MAGA, right? I'm talking about people like Ben Gavir, a right-wing uh, Israeli settler with a history of inciting violence against Palestinians, who, by the way, is a national security minister. So when you have this type of language from a leader, and you have an ongoing occupation, uh, uh, occupation that really dehumanizes, chokes people, and I recommend anyone who has the ability to go if you have the ability to go, to go see it in the West Bank. It becomes clear as day. Um, this is when the victims uh, are not seen as victims, but they're seen as terrorists who are worthy of collective punishment for the sins of Hamas. Mm. And folks, Hamas has been in power for 16 years. There have been no elections in Gaza for 16 years. And the people who, the majority of uh, the Gaza's population were either babies or not born when Hamas got into power. Yep. So that's what's happening right now. Since you mentioned Bibi, um, uh, Netanyahu, I I've long said, and this audience has heard this more than once, that I believe uh, that he's the wrong person. I I I'm, not I'm not even getting to the issue of what you think about the conflict right now. I'm just suggesting that I, I believe now and have for quite some time that Bibi Netanyahu is the wrong person uh, yep. to be leading, the wrong person at the table, if you will, 
um, for for Israel. And I'm not the only one. There are a lot of Israelis who feel that way. It's no different. Right. It's no different than when Donald Trump was president. Um, he was the president of these United States, but a whole lot of us, um, tens of millions of us, did not uh, support that, uh, did not agree with that, thought he was horrible choice. So it's the same in, it's same in Israel. Just because Bibi is their leader and, and making these comments does not mean that the overwhelming number of Israelis um, necessarily agree with him. So since you're talking about Bibi, let's put a finer point on this. I think it's important for folks to understand that at some point uh, back in the day, Bibi Netanyahu actually supported Hamas. Yeah, you heard me correctly. Yeah. Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel right now, who's saying, making all these comments that uh, Wajahat just mentioned uh, and quoted, he supported Hamas at one point. Let me quote Bibi Netanyahu from 2019. Those who want to thwart the possibility of a Palestinian state, those who want to thwart the possibility of a Palestinian state should support the strengthening of Hamas. And the transfer of money to Hamas. One more again. Those who want to thwart the possibility of a Palestinian state should support the strengthening of Hamas and the transfer of money to Hamas. Close quote. That's Bibi Netanyahu in 2019. How do you juxtapose that, Wajahat, with Bibi in 2019 and the comments Bibi is making right now in 2023? It's been consistent ever since uh, Hamas formed. Israeli government has used it as a divide and conquer uh, technique, right? So before, uh, it was like, oh, the PLO, which is Arab nationalism, right, is the biggest threat. Let's invest in the Islamist movement. And then later on, Israelis themselves said, part of the government said, this was a mistake. And here's Netanyahu openly saying, and this according to the Haaretz, and the Security Council said, oh, we need Hamas because, A, like you said, it kills the idea of a two-state solution. And B, the other thing is it divides Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza, right? It's a divide-and-conquer technique. West Bank is controlled by the Palestinian Authority. Uh, Gaza, it's controlled by Hamas. So you weaken and divide and isolate the Palestinians, and you thwart any possibility of the two-state solution. So, yeah, let's support them and fund them and enable them. And so I always tell people that if you want, if Israel really wants to go after Hamas and Hamas enablers— you have to have Netanyahu submitting himself and resigning to the IDF, like today. Mm. He should be the first one. And it's important it's important point you made that a lot of uh, Israelis are protesting against uh, Netanyahu, right? The mindset is the following. You hear this a lot, folks. Well, Hamas is the elected government, so that's why Palestinians are responsible. Just pause for a second and reflect on that. That's the same rationalization that Hamas uses to attack innocent Israeli citizens. And it's the same rationalization, Tavis, that al-Qaeda used to attack America, including Muslim Americans. You all are all complicit. You voted for Bush. Mm-hmm. You voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. So you are a legitimate target. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a, it's a powerful point. Um, and uh, as we say around here, you got to get your frame right. And you are putting us in the right frame. But let's talk about Hamas since, you, since, uh, since you've raised them a few times now. Um, there are those who believe, on the flip side of this conversation, that Hamas uh, is responsible for these civilian deaths. Indeed, uh, their strategy uh, relies on um, uh, enticing, if you will, tempting Israel to come at them, knowing that civilian lives, knowing that the lives of babies and innocents are going to be lost. And and they build these tunnels underneath hospitals and schools and mosques. Uh, and so they know 
um, that when they entice Israel to come in, we now know that Israel has been engaging an air war. Now they're headed in on the ground. But how do you respond to those who say it is Hamas who's responsible for the killing of these precious babies that we were talking about? Because, again, when you build tunnels underneath hospitals and schools and mosques and you booby trap apartments, et cetera, et cetera, where everyday people live, civilians live, then you're responsible, not Israel. So Hamas is a violent militant organization that is responsible for committing war crimes and killing Israeli civilians, right? It's also corrupt. It's also authoritarian. And it is not beloved by the Palestinian people. It has failed the Palestinian people. But Hamas is also not an irrational actor. And it's important for people to know that, right? Because people think, oh, evil and demon and they're just crazy. In a sense, they're not irrational because what they're doing is what al-Qaeda did to the United States, right? It was the, the strategy called death by a thousand cuts. We'll overextend them. We'll lure them out. They'll sustain casualties. They'll bleed money. Uh, the world will turn against them, right? We are, the, the, what they'll be saying is we're already stuck. We're screwed. We're an open-air prison. We're occupied. Uh, so, okay, fine. You're killing us already, and you're going to kill us already. So kill more of us, but we're going to kill you too. Does that make sense? And also, by, by in kind of enticing Israel into this long war, it's a trap. That's what some people have said, is that they want Israel to overextend. And the reason why Hamas, in addition to the violent crimes they do, is also uh, a, a terrible actor is because, like you said, they have to know that the, the victims will be the Palestinian people who are mm-hmm. stuck. But for Hamas then, just like Netanyahu, they get to stay in power. See, see, we're your defender. See, we're the one fighting back. See, look, we told you how terrible Israel was, and we're the only ones at least striking. So you need us. So in a way, Hamas and Netanyahu both deserve each other because they're both corrupt extremist leaders who are only doing this to protect Mm. their own power right now. And unfortunately, uh, uh, Israel is falling into Hamas's trap. And it reminds me, for those who want an analogy, of the uh, post-9-11 problem that America fell into. The whole world empathized with America and felt our pain. But that rage and pain then translated into terrible policies and the reckless war and terror, which left what? Generations of bloodshed and yeah. self-destruction. Yeah. And that's my fear with what's happening with Israel right now. Watching my time. Got about five minutes left. I want to cover a few more topics. Let me, let me move a little, sure. little, little more swiftly here. Um, let, me, let me go from BB to his friend Joe Biden, the president of these United States, and just ask mm. a point-blank question. Whether or not you think Joe Biden, by his actions, by his words, by his deeds, has up until this point shown an indifference to the suffering and the death of Palestinians. Yeah, he could do better, man. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. could do better. And, uh, you know, I know people are thinking, oh, Muslims and Arabs are just really like, or Palestinians are really just super sensitive. But just look at his words. Uh, last thing I'll say, I know you want to move quickly. Uh, last week, when he when he made that comment about Palestinian casualties and dismissed the number just because it's a Hamas-run organization, that was the straw that, if you will, broke a lot of people. A lot mm-hmm. of people. A lot of people are like, I can't vote for this guy. Yeah. No, you made it very clear. I don't I don't trust the numbers. And now those numbers have been verified by the UN. Yep. So I don't know yep. what I don't know what the president says today, but he's I don't I don't I don't I don't buy the numbers. I don't believe the numbers. I don't I don't I don't I don't own that. And now again they've been verified by the UN. So what he says today, again, I don't know. Um one could one could have argued, one could argue 
um, that, uh, I mean, could argue, could have argued that for a long time in this country, the peace movement was basically on life support. I mean, we, you know, that you, you, it's not like the 60s, right, uh, when the peace movement was, was thriving and alive and well. And yet over the last few days, I've seen an increasing number of protests. Frankly, I've not seen these kind of protests in a long time, literally from New York to Los Angeles, where I sit right now, protests all across this country. There were protests in Russia, protests around the globe mm. about what's happening in the Middle East. Uh, many people, of course, calling for a ceasefire. What do you make of the increasing number? A protest. Uh, I feel very encouraged by it, but I'm also a gray beard like you, Tavis. And we remember that we were the ones who protested the post 9 11 war on terror. Mm -hmm. So many people came out, but power was blind to itself and ignored all of us. And this is where I think, again, going back to 9 11, because even though most of us haven't forgotten, thankfully, maybe, just maybe, in the shadow of that tragedy and seeing this young generation rise up and not buying the same old propaganda and talking points, right, and being more nuanced, reading more books and seeing more perspectives, maybe this will be the shift. And you're already mm -hmm. seeing the pressure affect and change the Biden administration's response in the past two weeks. You're seeing it in real time. The question is whether or not in these last two minutes, whether or not that shift happens before the following. And the following is this. Iran's president, as you know, said over the weekend, and I quote, Israel crossed a red line which may force everyone to take action. That Israel crossed a red line, which may mm. force everyone, everyone to take action. We know the everyone of which he speaks. Uh, that's his quote, though. So the, 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 the bigger concern here, if you're not scared enough by all that uh, uh, Wajahat has already said, the larger concern here is that this war is going to grow wider. Your thoughts? Yep. Yeah, well, number one, I just tweeted that before I came. It's not just uh, to that region. We're also seeing the rise and explosion of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. You've seen it all over. You're seeing white nationalists literally play into that using divide and conquer. By the way, folks, they hate Jews, but they also hate the rest of us as well. And this is where in the final 30 seconds I'll say is why Americans have to speak up is because our government is more than just a small bystander. It is has the strongest relationship with Israel. We give billions of dollars, we give weapons, we give aid, and we give diplomatic support. Yeah. When the United States uses its power to push, we've seen in the past two weeks, Israel has admitted we allowed humanitarian aid. That's what Israel said because the United States asked for it. And when you see Biden stress and push more uh, and say, hey, bring back the Internet, they brought back the Internet. The United States and the Biden's leadership can do a lot more to influence and pressure Israel at this particular moment. And the Arab nations have to come together because this will explode. Tevis. For you, this I'll, will not be contained to the region. For you, I'll squeeze out another 30 seconds right quick. Uh, here's, yeah. my, here's my exit question in 30 seconds. How long can the State Department, our State Department and officials and diplomats uh, 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 refrain from using the word ceasefire and de-escalation? Yeah, which, and I'm glad you mentioned that because apparently they told their officials they can't use the word two weeks ago, and yeah. now you're seeing elected officials say it. I think they made a failure, another failure, and I think the time was two weeks ago, and every single day with the escalating crisis and the damage and the civilian deaths, I think it's clear that yeah. we should have ceasefire and de-escalation. Those should not be Voldemort. Voldemort words. Yep. Nope. Joe Biden and Anthony Blinken uh, need to let the words ceasefire and de-escalation come out of their mouths sooner than later. But I digress on that. Wajahat Ali uh, is, uh, is an author. Uh, his book is called Go Back to Where You Came From and other helpful recommendations and co-host of the weekly Democracy-ish podcast. Good to have you on, my friend. We'll do it again somewhere down the road. Take care of yourself. Take care, man. Thank you.